Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, why don't we? We'll dive in. Uh, and um, the hope, uh, the, uh, the pastoral discussionary hope, uh, is to finish uh, Hebrews before we get to the new year uh, and then go into a new series for the Daniel Fest. Uh, so that is a uh, pretty lofty ambition. Uh, but, but we're gonna we're gonna do it, uh, and uh, push through and and get the most we can communicated. Hebrews chapter ten. Uh, if you were here last week, how many of you were here last week? Yeah. So I'll give you a little bit of uh, historical background as well on uh, the messages and what we've been working through. Uh, the writer. And uh, we've, we've gone with Paul, so I've just been saying Paul. Uh, there's a lot of evidence that Paul wrote this, but uh, the authorship uh, is not firm. So it, it could have been somebody else, but the writings uh, are, are parallel to Paul's. And uh, so we've just been going with that. And the writer is writing to... Uh, the Jewish community and Hebrew people who have been coming to know Jesus as Messiah. And uh, so this is written somewhere, we think around AD 64, uh, the temple sacrificial, uh, the temple is still in existence uh, because it was torn down by AD 70. Uh, and so uh, the temple in Jerusalem is still there. And so there's still these competitive systems in existence that anybody can see and recognize. Uh, and uh, the Jewish, you know, Jewish people had moved all over the world, by the way. So on the day of Pentecost, you know, there was a reason the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. Uh, so this is uh, this is like ten days after Jesus uh, ascends. So he walked on the earth for forty days after his resurrection. Uh, he explained to the disciples the kingdom. Then he told them, "Tarry in Jerusalem. Don't go out with the message until you're anointed with power from on high, because what Joel prophesied is going to take place." And uh, so, 10 days later, uh, on the 50th day after first fruits, so that's why it was called Pentecost. It wasn't called Pentecost because they spoke in tongues, uh, though we're Pentecostal people, right? It was called Pentecost because it happened on the 50th day, the Penta day, the 50th day after resurrection or after the first fruits. And so, on the 50th day, uh, they're praying. Uh, and the Holy Spirit descends with power and with fire. And actually, it was a reenactment of what happened on Mount Sinai when Moses was given the law, when Moses was given the testament, when Moses was given the Torah. The mountain shook, there was fire that came on the mountain, and the word of God was delivered. So likewise now, uh, and he was inaugurating on that day a new temple which would become the tabernacle as he downloaded to Moses the tabernacle vision. So that tabernacle was going to be a natural tabernacle, about 450 feet square, but the new tabernacle on the day of Pentecost was your heart. 
So that's what was happening, was there was a reenactment of the coming of God in glory upon the new temple. So this is 58 days after resurrection, and so now the people of God are like, whoa, you know, just, there were 120 people, that's what happened, there were 120 people that received this infilling of the Spirit, there's flames on their head, they're prophesying to one another about the glory of God, and they're speaking in languages they haven't learned, but the languages they're speaking in are actually represented by people that have come from 120 different nations, Jewish people, Hebrew people, who've come from 120 different nations for uh, the celebration of Passover. So they're there for the celebration of Passover, and uh, they've all come to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was, for the Jewish people, the Mecca. And so it was common to make this annual trek back home, back with your relatives, to be with uh, your relatives and your family for Passover. And so they were still in town, and they're, they're lingering in town all the way through uh, to Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit's poured out, and they've come from all of these different nations where, they, where they've learned all these other languages, and they hear these brothers and sisters, Hebrew brothers and sisters, speaking about the glories of God in languages back from Ethiopia and back from Libya and back from, you know, all of these nations, from Egypt and, and all of these dialects. And all at once, these people are erupting with 120 different languages that they've never learned, telling of the glory of God. And the audience is from all of these nations, but they're Hebrew people, and they hear the glory of God coming out of these 120 people. It's kind of a glorious thing, right? And so that's what birthed the church. That's, that's the glory that, that suddenly all of these people are like, whoa, there's so much glory here that these people act like they're drunk. But then Peter stands up and says, they're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. Too early to be drunk. This is what Joel prophesied. The Holy Spirit is being poured out upon all flesh. And so now Peter, you know, preaches a message and, and they're rent of heart and they say, what, what, what must we do, right? And uh, he instructs them to repent and give their lives over to Jesus. And so they accept Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, and they're born of the Spirit and they're baptized in water. And so that was the birth of the church. Some of you remember all of that. The next, the next passage that we're told about, 3,000 people come to the Lord. The next one, 4,000 people come. You know, all these people are coming to the Lord uh, as this message is going out. So that's who now this book is written to. This book is written to Hebrew people who've come to know the Lord. But there's a transition, there's a shift, and we have these two temples that still exist and they've received prophetic knowledge from Jesus. Luke recorded it in chapter 21. Jesus spoke it, and Matthew recorded it in 23 and 24, that the temple is going to be torn down, that the sacrificial system is going to come to an end, that Jerusalem is actually going to come under siege and that everything's going to shift and change, and that the season that they're living in, the time, the age, is coming to a close, and there's a brand new season about ready to dawn. And Paul calls that a season of light. The darkness is almost 
gone and the light is about to burst forth. And so he's talking about the coming age as a coming season of light. And he's recognizing with them that what we're going through now is hard, it's tough, uh, there's persecution, there's trouble. Uh, everything that Matthew 24 records that Jesus said, there's famine, there's pestilence, there's wars, there's rumors of wars, all this stuff is going on. But we're almost to the end of this. When you see all of these things happening, look up, your redemption draweth nigh. God has not ordained for us to endure wrath, but salvation. And Jesus has told them, when you see, the, when you see Judea surrounded by armies, get out of town. Because this is the time. So they did that, by the way. Uh, it's recorded that Christians fled Judea. They fled Jerusalem. They fled that region by the thousands, and they were protected. They were kept from the destruction that came. Uh, there's many uh, historical recordings about this. Many of them went to a city across the Jordan called Pella. And so as the armies came in and destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and all of that was brought down by A.D. 70, uh, the Christian people were preserved from that wrath. So it's an amazing, amazing story. And <clears throat> what he's telling us all the way through this, and I know you keep hearing me say this, all the way through this book, he's telling us how Jesus is superior to anything they've had. He's superior to the law. He's superior to Moses. He's superior to the prophets. Though all of those have been used to bring us to this moment, it's all been about Jesus. It's all been a foreshadowing of him, and he is supreme to all of it because he is the author of all of it. And all the way through this, and I know you've been hearing me harp about this, uh, he's telling them that there's a shift now from the law of Moses to the law of faith. We read that to you a few weeks ago out of Romans chapter 27. Uh, what, you know, Paul asks this question. By what comes righteousness, right? And he says that there is now a righteousness revealed apart from the law and the prophets. This is Romans 3.27, the Free Duane translation. And he says that it is, it is now uh, 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 not through the law of Moses, but through the law of faith. Through the law of faith, righteousness has come. And that's the emphasis leading all the way to chapter 11. And we might say we love chapter 11. How many of us love chapter 11? Uh, chapter 11, we call it the hall of faith, right? But it, it may be this apex of the book because he's, he's going to talk about how powerful faith is, how important it is, how that even the patriarchs, and those that walked with God before the law of Moses, during the law of Moses, all of them that pleased God, pleased God because they walked by faith. That even during the period of the law, faith existed. Before the law, faith existed. That faith has always existed. The just will live by faith. And he's, he's going to be telling us as we move into chapter 11 how amazing it is to walk by faith and how it pleases God that we would walk by faith. Isn't that fun? Isn't that cool? Uh, faith. What is faith, by the way? I, I want to jump into this for a minute uh, because, you know, Jesus was the epitome of faith. Jesus was the model of faith. And this is one thing that's cool for us to look at. And I, I pulled up a bunch of scriptures about Jesus uh, 
so let's read these before we get into uh, going through a little bit of chapter 11. Uh, but just thinking about, because I know you've heard things like this before, um, and we think about the, the, the uh, definition of faith somewhat uh, out of Romans chapter 10, 17, or how faith comes. Uh, Romans chapter 10, 17, we could read that if we've got it. Uh, so faith comes from hearing. This is new out of the New American Standard. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing. Everybody say hearing. Now, it doesn't mean just with the ear, obviously. It means also, it means to perceive. It means to see. It means to discern. Faith comes by discerning, hearing, perceiving a message from God, right? And, so, and that message has to be quickened by the anointed one. So the hearing, it's not just hearing like uh, there's people in seminaries, of which we jokingly sometimes call cemeteries. Uh, there are people in seminaries today or people studying the Word or taking a class in, in a, uh, 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 some kind of a Bible class in college who read it as a history book and faith doesn't come. Because faith comes as the Word is quickened, made alive, right? And so we've talked about that before, the shift in the verbiage here, that the emphasis in this verse is on rhema, not on logos. In other words, that the presence of the Lord, the anointing of the Christ, makes the Word of God alive, and that's what gives the potential for you to have faith. Yes? So faith comes by hearing, perceiving, discerning, and hearing the word of Christ. And this is what Jesus did. I want you to see this, uh, John 12, 49. John 12, 49. I've not spoken on my own, but the Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. And I know that his command leads to eternal life, so I speak exactly what the Father has told me to say. Now, this is cool. There's multiple verses. John has a bunch of them, but there's multiple verses by the writers of the New Testament where it talks about and where Jesus talks about the dependency that he had on the word of the Father. And we see that Jesus was the epitome of faith. Jesus was the true, he is the ultimate example of what it is to walk by faith. That is to hear, to perceive, to see, to discern, and then to follow, to trust, to obey, to invest your entire life, all of your energy, into what you've heard. Not to hold back, not to withhold, not to, not to, just, not to just give it a measure, but to invest all of your energy, 100% in following, trusting, obeying what you've heard, right? So this is Jesus, John 5, 19. So Jesus replied, truly, truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself unless he sees the father doing it. For whatever the father does, the son also does. John 5, 30, I can of my own self do nothing. I must have pulled this one out of King James or something. I don't know. Oh, hey, we got the same thing up there. Is it New American? Might have been New American. I can of mine own self. It's not the way we talk necessarily today. Do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father who has sent me. John six thirty eight. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, 
but the will of him who sent me. John 7, 16. My teaching is not my own, Jesus replied. It comes from him who sent me. John 8, 28. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, that I do nothing on my own, but speak exactly what the Father has taught me. John 14, 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own. Instead, it is the Father dwelling in me, performing his works. I want, I want this to soak in as we kind of move into this chapter on faith because I want us to just marinate in this concept that we abide in him, that his words abide in us. And as Jesus has given us this example, that he, he was abiding in the Father, that we choose to abide in the Son that we choose to abide in our Savior, in His Word, in His bread of life, in what He instructs us to do, what the Holy Spirit now residing in us leads us to say and to do, and that we find ourselves not with an independent life, but as Pastor Joel was saying earlier, that we find ourselves woven in Him, wrapped up in Him, one with Him. That the love that we have is His love. The words we have, they're His words that we choose to fully follow after him. Yeah, don't shout me doing just because I'm preaching good on that one. Come on, there we go. There we go. Some excitement in the room. But I do exactly, this is John 14, 31. John 14, 31. But I do exactly what the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Wow. How's the world going to know that we love the Son? How's the world going to know that we love the Son if we don't do exactly what He shows us to do? If we don't say exactly, but if we say exactly what He shows us to say, if we show, and, and, and again, you know, He and the Father are one, right? They said, show us the Father. He said, have I been with you so long that you've not seen Him? John says it's the only begotten, it's the Son who reveals the Father. So we're not trying to separate the two, uh, mind you, as we read about his relationship with Father. We're not trying to separate the two. We're woven and tied and knit to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the three are functioning as one, and, and our hearts are knit together with them. And they're showing us how to live. They're instructing us. And, and I think all the way through this, Paul's trying to tell us that that's, that's actually enough for you now. That's actually enough for you now. That, that, you, uh, that, that you don't need the law regulating you when you have the living Holy Spirit, the presence of the living Word abiding on the inside of you. That's enough. That's enough. That's enough to hold you. That's enough to sustain you. That's enough to build you. That's enough to edify you. That's enough to equip you. That's enough to push you over in life. That's enough. Let's go to uh, chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I'm writing, reading today uh, 
Uh, this is out of the NIV. So New International Version is where I'm going to be reading. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for, or the patriarchs. Uh, the Greek uh, could be translated the presbytery. Uh, those that led the way for us. And he's specifically, as you see in the context, he's specifically talking about uh, Old Testament patriarchs, ancients, uh, those that led the way for us in God, be, the, be it under the law or before the law, this is what they were commended for. Uh, and, and I would say the commendation that came upon their lives was greater than that which is recorded. So uh, uh, we have to know that, that God's pleasure that he took in those who walked by faith was so vast, so amazing, that, that the book doesn't hold the fullness of the commendation that came upon those who walked by faith. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. I'm just going to read a little bit and then we'll, we'll uh, reach, you know, we'll, we'll back up, put it in reverse, and uh, we'll give you some commentary. Is that all right? Verse 4, by faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Verse 5. For by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For he was taken, for before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Verse 6, and without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Verse 7, by faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Uh, something that I want you to see as we go through this is that, you know, righteousness is something that we lean into, love, embrace, welcome, have, uh, we, we acknowledge that it gives us uh, a set-apart life and a confidence. And the righteousness that we have is because we have wholeheartedly placed our faith in Jesus as our representative before the Father. And we've trusted in this word, his word, that he's sent, Jesus, the living word. But I want you to see something interesting, that, that these ancients, these patriarchs, who were commended before the Lord, righteousness was credited to their account apart from the works of the law, because when he sent them his word, they followed his word. 
So this is interesting. I, this is interesting as you go through this, is that righteousness is associated with his word. Is that too deep for you? Everybody okay? Righteousness is associated with his word. Now, when you taste of righteousness, then you also can taste of the tree of life. These patriarchs, by the way, even those who lived during the period of the law, see, the law did not invalidate the promises. It was added to until the fulfillment came, Christ the seed. So these ancients who had a word over their lives, and they yielded to that word, they followed that word, they trusted that word, they threw their whole life into that word, God stamped their bank account with righteousness, and they entered into a type of salvation as we do. And they were caught up in a glory that, and I know we, you know, we kind of feel like we've got, you know, we've got something going on as New Testament believers and New Testament Christians, and we kind of feel like we got something special going on, and we do compared to the majority of the Jewish populace. But many of these, like David, entered into a, pre a salvation, pre-salvation experience where they, they saw what you and I are living in today. They saw the glory of the Christ. They saw, they saw the, the, the true sacrifice that was to come. They saw the heavenly city. They saw, they saw uh, something better than what they would ever taste in or, or taste of, though they had promises. So I think, I think there's some cool stuff uh, woven, with all, woven together with all of this here uh, because remember, uh, remember a few weeks ago, we read to you the end of Romans chapter 14. Do you remember that? And uh, it ends this way in verse 23 of chapter 14. It says, whatever is not of faith is sin. Remember that? How many remember that? Good, okay. Uh, so, I mean, this is, if you're taking notes, this, is, this stuff is, is worth thinking on and marking. In other words, and, and, and I, I don't mean to throw anything uh, at you that is, um, you know, like, you know I, don't, I don't want to get up. Uh, uh, in your face in any kind of a negative way. But I, I want you to see that, that walking by faith is walking by his word. And his word gives you the deposit for faith. And so if you've received a word from God and you say no to that, then to you that is sin. Sin is not necessarily uh, cutting somebody off in the intersection. Sin is not necessarily limited to uh, stealing from someone else. In other words, sin is not just limited to the breaking of the Ten Commandments. Sin, actually, as we understand it now in the New Covenant, is to transgress. It is to resist. It is to say no to the superior living Word. The Word became flesh, and He came to dwell among us, and now He lives in you. 
And so when his word comes within you and he brings you instruction and you say no to that, I didn't plan to preach on this, by the way, this is free, um, but you say no to that word that he deposits within you and you recognize the voice of the Lord and you say no to that, to, to you that is sin. And he's looking for, he's longing for, he's desiring, he's developing a supple, gentle, flexible, heart-rent people that if he says to you, build an ark, we're about to read about Noah, if he says to you, build an ark, and it's never rained before, and he's telling you that these black funny things are going to form in the sky, and then uh, eventually they're going to start releasing droplets of water, kind of like what comes out of uh, you and your kids when you have bucket fights. And you're throwing buckets of water on each other on a hot summer day, but it's going to come out of the sky. I mean, if you get a word that is that abstract and you say no, to you that's sin. And this is, this is why the law of faith is so much better than the old law, because in the old religious system, we just focused on smoking, drinking, and uh, girl, going, going with girls that do. In, in the old religious system, we just... Right? You know, in the old Pentecostal system I grew up in, you know, you weren't supposed to dance, you weren't supposed to drink, you weren't supposed to chew, you weren't supposed to go with girls that do. You, you know, you, you weren't supposed to go to... We had all of these uh, taboos, we had all of these things you weren't supposed to do, uh, but you could resist the Lord all you wanted to, right? I mean, I mean, we were measuring one another's righteousness by outward and external works, unfortunately, instead of provoking one another to walk by faith, provoking one another to walk by the Word. And these, walking by the Word is, is so much more important. It is so much more supreme. It is so much, so much greater than measuring ourselves or one another by outward external demonstrations. Verse 7, by faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness that's keeping with faith. By the way, here's what I think. You know, it starts this way. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Now, I know in our modern context, we often will apply that to things that are temporal. But I want you to see that all the way through... And, and many times we will apply that to things that we're personally hoping for. And I'm not saying that those things don't apply. So we're, you know, uh, our car is running held together with Band-Aids. Duct tape, Band-Aids, bubble gum. And, uh, you know, the muffler is dragging and uh, it's firing on, you know, half of the cylinders. And so we're hoping for an automobile, right? And... Uh, so as you're hoping and you're bringing that before the Lord, uh, don't be surprised if you don't get a visitation from the Lord concerning what you're hoping for that then brings faith. A word from the Lord will move you from hope into faith, but you've got to hope for something. If you're hoping for nothing, God's not gonna, got, He's got nothing to work with. 
Did you hear what I just said? If you're hoping for nothing, God has nothing to work with. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. But, but I, what I want you to see all the way through this uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is that some of these folks were hoping for, for bigger things than uh, just a, a new Kia or Hyundai. Uh, that, these, these folks were, like Noah, is observing society. And he's observing the degradation of society. He's observing the violence and the immorality and the impurity and the darkness and the separation from God. And his heart was vexed over it. His heart was crying out over it. And he's bringing us before the Lord. And the thing that he was hoping for was redemption. And he was hoping for salvation. And he was hoping for deliverance. And he was hoping that if judgment came, that he would escape the wrath of God because his heart was pure toward the Lord. It says that Noah found favor in the heart, in the eyes of God. It's because he was one who walked by faith. He was following the Word. Before the Word about the ark ever came, Noah followed the Word of the Lord. So in the context of Hebrews 11, now faith is the assurance of of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. So this is where his hope was reaching into a realm that was greater than just his temporal stuff. His hope was reaching into a realm that was culturally related that was related to what was happening around him and what was happening with regard to darkness. And so God finds him and meets him with a word of preservation, a word of deliverance, a word of salvation. When God was really, rightly, justifiably in the mood to start over and leave no one on the planet, God chooses a man to leave and to preserve So this word comes, right? This word comes when warned about things not yet seen. In holy fear, he built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Wow. Are you catching this? Are you seeing this? So there was some kind of a visitation that came to Noah. If he would have said no to that, then it would have harmed his righteousness. Your faith in the word of the Lord over your life affirms the righteousness that you've been granted by the living word who has presented you before your, the Father. But your refusal to follow the living word who represents you before Father harms your righteousness. If your righteousness is harmed, so also is your partaking of the tree of life. So also are the blessings. So also it, there's a lot of implications if your righteousness is harmed. 
I'm, I'm saying this because we, we do have a modern idea that, that if we are saved and we've asked the Lord to cover our sin and we've received him as Savior, that obeying him is kind of a separate work. I can kind of take that part or leave that part. That I'm still righteous whether I obey or not because I'm abiding in His righteousness and He has presented me righteous before the Father and I really don't need to, I really don't need to concern myself with really obeying Him all that much. But isn't that why we call Him Lord? Because isn't his opinion superior? Isn't he the supreme man superior? Isn't he the redeemer, the representative? Isn't he the conqueror? Isn't he the overcomer worthy to be followed and obeyed? I'm just saying. So Noah receives this, and, and, and I, I just want you to see that uh, over and over again, that what, what these people are receiving, uh, they had hopes, you know. Um, Abraham was in a foreign country. Uh, him and his wife are barren of children. Uh, he doesn't have his own identity. Uh, there's a lot of things happening in Abraham that God found. And when God found it, he found those things as hope. And so God begins to speak a word over Abram. His name was Abram when he found him. And he begins to speak a word over him and Sarai. And he begins to declare this word over them and begin to lead them to their own identity, to their own place, to their own inheritance, and begins to lead them not only into their own identity, their own place, their own inheritance, begins to lead them into a place where they'll receive a son, a supernatural son, and out of that son will come a lineage that will populate the earth. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hope is super important, church. Let's first look at verse 8. You okay still? By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, oh, I'm sorry, verse 8. By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. Don't you say that to the Lord sometimes? Well, where in the world are you taking me? Just hush and follow, child. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Wow, he saw a greater glory. He saw a greater glory. As he followed, by the way, this is what I think too, as you follow... As you follow the Word, remember the Word coming to these guys was the rhema. It was Christ. The Word then is the same as the Word now. The Word is Christ. 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. Well, what word is proceeding from the mouth of God? Jesus is the fullness of every word proceeding from the mouth of God. He is the word made flesh. So when they received the word, they were receiving a portion of Jesus. When you receive a word, you're receiving a portion of Jesus. That's kind of heavy. He was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who made the promise. And so from this one man, as, as he, uh, from this one man, and he, as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand in the s- seashore. All of these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. What they were seeing was beyond the scope of what they were able to see fulfilled. In other words, it's interesting, out of their hope came a word over their lives, or multiple words, came promises over their lives, the depositive word to them. They followed that word, and yet as far as they went to the end of their lives, that word was not yet completely fulfilled, but they never left off the walk of faith, seeing that God would fulfill what he began in them in a generation, in a legacy, in a lineage, in those that would come. I think he kind of wants us to live that way. When do we stop living by faith? When do we say... Well, it hasn't happened, so I, I give up. Or could it, be that our, could it be that our hopes and our faith is just too small? Could it be that we're allowing ourselves such small hopes, such small faith, that it's not legacy-oriented. It's not, it's not beyond us. It's not bigger than us. I think one thing that God is trying to show us in this chapter is that He wants to put a deposit in you that's bigger than you. It's bigger than you in this generation. It's bigger than what you can accomplish. He wants you to see it from afar. He wants you to see it as in a vision. He wants you to see it fulfilled beyond you. He wants you to have a deposit within you that is of Him, that is so vast that when you get, that you have to walk by faith to the very last breath of your life. And when you get to that day, you still are going to be sustained in faith. You're going to pass a baton in faith. Genesis chapter 50, verse 24, Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land that he promised on an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said to him, God will surely come to your aid, and then you will carry my bones up from this place. 
How big is your dream? How big is, your, how big is the word over your life? I, I want to encourage you that if your hope is small, you're not giving God enough to work with. We have got to be looking at culture, society, situations, people around us, everything that's happening. We have to be looking, and we have to be welcoming a hope, a hope of revival, a hope of restoration, a hope. Don't you know that Satan wants to kill your hope for the future? Because if he can kill your hope, then you deactivate faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. You have got to give God something to work with. He's looking for a man. He's looking for a woman who will begin to dream about something bigger in their generation, bigger for the future generations, bigger. And I think this is, this is, part, of, this is part of a quenching, squelching message that would come against the church, that it's, that it's all over, and, and, and these are just terrible days, and the Antichrist is coming, and things are going to get worse, and Boy, I tell you what, if we can get our hope quenched, if we can get our hope squashed, if we can get this negative, cynical attitude toward the future, don't you realize you're killing a receptivity within for a faith that moves you into the next generation? That literally, when you get to the end of this generation, you're like, this might be my last breath, but come here, kids, come here, come here, come here, come here. God's going to still bring this to pass. He's going to bring it to pass through you, and you're going to bring my bones out of this place. And when this comes to pass, you're going to rejoice over me. We're going to rejoice together. So what happens in Exodus chapter 13? God led the people by way of the wilderness through the Red Sea. The Israelites left the land of Egypt and rode for battle. Moses and Moses, verse 19, and Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. Let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. Everybody gather up everything. Let's go. Let's go. Load the wagon trains. Let's go, team. Let's go. Oh, hang on. Hang on. Hang We forgot one thing. We promised that there was a covenant-keeping patriarch who walked by faith, who had a word of faith within him, who saw the promised land from a vision. He saw what God was going to do, and he had us promise that we would take him in with us. And so let's, before we leave town, before we cross that Red Sea, before let's get him, let's gather up those bones, load those things up. stand this morning. Father is saying all the way through chapter 11, all the way through chapter 11, we need dreams that are bigger than our lifetime. We need hopes that are bigger than our lifetime. If we have greater hopes, Father would visit us with instruction. He would visit us with inspiration. He would visit us with revelation. He would visit us with His Word, with Word that would bring faith and church, listen, if all of our hopes are temporal, if all of our hopes are just me-focused, if all of our hopes are just kind of my little realm-focused, are you hearing me? 
then we're too connected to this world. You know what it says about these guys? It says that they considered themselves like foreigners and strangers. They, they, they wouldn't allow themselves to get so connected to this world that they saw their own situation and their own day-to-day life and everything that was happening with them as the supreme focus of their heart, but rather they saw that God wanted to do something greater. God wanted to do something greater. God wants to bring something greater to pass. This is not to offend you. Uh, there, I hope there's no greater prosperity person in the building than me. I hope that. I really do. I really hope that. But if all of our hopes are based and built around cars and homes and stuff, then we've yielded to a temporal mindset. We've yielded to a temporal mindset. God's calling us tonight. Tonight we gather for night of giving. Wow. God's calling us to reconcile the nations. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 9, 22, I become all things to all men that I might win some. That I might win some. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. He says, it's now as if God is making this ministry of reconciliation. He's given it to us and He's making His appeal through us. It's us this week. You're going to go into the highways and the byways. You're going to go into the marketplace. And this week, God is making His appeal to be reconciled to God through us, every one of us. Wherever we go, we're going to have a fitting word. We're going to have a fitting comment. We're going to have love. We're going to have prayer. We're going to have encouragement. We're going to have a lifestyle. We're going to have a smile. We're going to have a billboard of goodness about us that says to people, you can be reconciled to your Father. You can be reconciled to your Father. Your Father loves you. You can be reconciled to your Father. And oh, that we would have that vision. Oh, that, that, we, would, that we would meditate in such a manner that we let those kinds of hopes grow within us. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. It's a result of hearing from Father about the impact, the influence, the change. The awakening, the salvation, the redemption that He can bring to not only our generation, but the one to come. Come on, this could be the best Christmas gift right here. We just give our hearts fully to Him. We just give our hearts fully to Him. We just say, yes, Lord, I want to hear, I want to perceive, I want to discern. I want to say yes to You. I, I present myself as one who follows Your Word. I, I want to dream with You. Holy Spirit, energize our hopes, energize our dreams. Holy Spirit, visit us. We want to be those who leave a legacy. We want to be those who leave a legacy. We want to be those who pass a baton 
to a generation who see a greater fulfillment of what you promised us. We want to be those who walk with faith, walk by faith to the last breath, to the last breath, to the last breath, Lord. Come on, just start praying all across the room. Lord, we ask you to open up opportunities right now. This is Christmas week. Lord, this is Christmas week. We don't have to tell you, but this is when Gentiles all over the nations are going to celebrate the birth of the Messiah. We want to be used of you, Lord. We want to be used of you. We, we welcome you to interrupt our shopping, interrupt family gatherings, interrupt turkey and dressing, and interrupt every plan, interrupt reunions with relatives, with testimonies of your goodness, testimonies of your glory, testimonies of salvation. Lead us, Lord. We welcome you to lead us. We welcome you to lead us. We welcome you to lead us. We want to be redemptive. We want to be redemptive. We want to be those who talk about the ark Jesus. That there's an ark that people can run into. There's a saving ark that people can run into. We, we want to be those who carry that message everywhere we go. We say, use us. We ask you to open doors of opportunity. We ask you to open up the eyes of our understanding to see opportunity before us. We welcome a boldness in the Spirit. We welcome a boldness in the Spirit to make known the mystery of the Gospel. We thank you for it. Come on, hold out your hands. There's healing in your hands. Hold out your hands. There's healing in your hands. Come on, there's love in your hands. There's love in your hug. There's the quenching of the enemy in your expression. Perfect love through you drives out, dismisses fear. Be used of the Lord this week. 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 These hands, this hug, this gesture, your smile. It is, it is a manifestation of the love of Father to those. Don't doubt it. Don't doubt it. We cast off doubt right now. We cast off doubt right now. The Lord uses us. The Lord uses us. The Lord inhabits our heart. He inhabits our body. He inhabits our hugs. He inhabits our smile. He inhabits our gestures. The Lord is present through us. Lord, we say yes to You. 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 Fear will be dismissed as we minister to people this week. Discouragement, heaviness, condemnation, negativity. Oh, it'll, it'll be dismissed as we minister to people this week. We ask for the fitting word. We ask for the fitting word. Choice words are like silver. They're like apples of gold. We ask for that fitting word, that the very word of the Lord would be present. Oh, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Come on, let's sing this as we go. Before we start turning the church into an outreach center for this evening, before we start getting ready for a night of giving. Let's sing this and just worship Him.
Good morning, New Horizons.